Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC, Notre Dame. It's rivalry weekend for USC going on the road to take on the Fighting Irish, the most famous intersectional college football rivalry out there. The Trojans are going on the road to take on number nine Notre Dame and uh, about 11-point underdog in this one. We're going to break that down, talk about what USC did during the bye week how they're getting ready for this tough test against Notre Dame. Big one for Clay Helton. You're looking at a 4-2 and two start for that early six-game stretch. That's very difficult. Or a 3-3 three and three start. Very big difference. And obviously, get a lot of people behind you if you can get a win over Notre Dame. We're going to answer a bunch of your questions and comments. So email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd like to call or text us, we got some texts. We got some voicemails. You can do that. Leave us a voicemail. Keep it short, please. Uh, send us a text to number 424-254-9141. That's number 424-254-9141. Please leave us some positive feedback on any of the podcast platforms you can listen to the show on. Google Podcast, uh, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Megaphone, wherever you're listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Please leave us some positive feedback, a five-star review. All that stuff is amazing. We're, you know, tell your friends about it. Hey, you got some USC football friends. Maybe you're going to Notre Dame. You should tee up the Peristyle podcast. Listen to it on your way to the game or when you're walking around Chicago doing some shopping or whatever you want to do. Make sure you check it out and tell your friends about the Peristyle podcast. All right. So today we had Harvey Hyde on yesterday, breaking things down. Today we got Keely Yor in studio, our uscfootball.com extraordinary reporter. What's up, Keely? Hello. Glad to be back after a bye week. Feeling slightly more rested, which is good. More rested is good. Yeah, it's kind of like a chance to recharge your batteries. It's got seven weeks in a row coming up for USC. And yep. uh, we got Dan Weber on the line, too. Hey. Um, it's got, it's just, I think it's always great. To, if you're going to have a bye week, they have it before Notre Dame, uh, especially Notre Dame on the road. Uh, couldn't come a bit at a better time. We'll see how that plays out. I mean, theoretically, it looks good on paper. Uh, how it actually uh, how it actually works, uh, we'll know Saturday, late Saturday. We will know Saturday. It's a, a night game again, uh, 4.30 p.m. local kickoff here in uh, Los Angeles. A lot of great games on Saturday. It wasn't that great of a slate last weekend. Um, it is a really good one this weekend. And you got a big one like USC, Notre Dame, kind of highlighting it just as far as a historical uh, historical importance goes and things like that. But big one for USC, big one for Clay Helton, like I said. Four and two and three and three are very, very different. Um, and so you don't want to have a two-game losing streak going into the rest of your schedule. So we'll see how the Trojans respond. Before we jump into questions and comments and all that, I wanted to thank Trader Joe's. They've been an amazing sponsor to us. Don't forget, you have homecoming coming up uh, the following weekend. We do know it's a 6.30 p.m. kickoff time shown on the Pac-12 Network, uh, USC and Arizona. That's on October 19th. But if you're going to do homecoming, you got all that time because it's a late kickoff. Make sure you go over to Trader Joe's, pick up whatever supplies you need, walk back over to campus and enjoy 
the homecoming festivities. I went to Trader Joe's this morning in Hermosa Beach right after I went to the gym. And it's funny, I pick up, a, I, I got my USC Trader Joe's bag. Just wanted to pick up some stuff. I need my breakfast, uh, you know, the granola I like to get and the uh, yogurt and bananas. But I picked up some snacks. I picked up a couple things for dinner, some uh, chicken dumplings that look Ooh, really good and nice. some uh, chicken chow mein. I just got both chicken, but, and I, so I fill up this big, you know, the bag, you know, one of those reusable bags full of stuff and it was $21. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, I got some chips, some snacks, all kinds of stuff. I'm like, this is awesome. So make sure you go check out Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us. Great food at great prices. And uh, they've been uh, friends of the show for quite a while now. Okay. Maybe before we go jump into things, talk about the bye week. Do you like the way it went down? Do you, do you think they should have done something uh, a little bit different? And I don't know, is, you know, who's, who's going to be more ready for this one? You actually get some real hitting on the Notre Dame side. They got a, a 52, nothing win over Bowling Green where USC kind of took the weekend off. I, I'm not sure, Dan. Sometimes you want to have a bye week, but I don't know if the way USC handled it, if it's going to be all that great uh, of, of a, you know, going into this Notre Dame game where Notre Dame had kind of a patsy team that actually go out and hit, and USC kind of took the weekend off. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I like the theory of, of getting guys healthy, and they did have some you know, people that you need to get help. I mean, we still don't know uh, absolutely the status of uh, – of Keaton Slovis and Talanoa Hafanga, we're assuming I think that they're going to be back, but uh, but we don't know that, so I don't know how much hitting uh, the quarterbacks aren't going to do a lot of hitting anyway. And uh, Amon Ross St. Brown also uh, was you know gimpy uh, through the week, so he needed some time. However, I know my instincts and Clay's are probably uh, just completely opposite, uh, and, and I think I would have. Probably gone a couple of days in full pads. Probably really emphasized the hitting part of it. Uh, I would have tried to build on the uh, the run game against Washington, and and probably come out and tried to show Notre Dame, hey, you know, you're big and strong and tough guys and all that. We're going to come right at you. We're going to, uh, you know, we're going to force you uh, not to play pass first, and you better be able to stop the run. So that's kind of where I would have gone with the week's practice, knowing that if you did get somebody bumped up a little bit, uh, they didn't have to be ready to play last Saturday. Uh, but yeah, I think once you've stopped hitting as USC tends to do, uh, August 17th at the end of fall camp, and then you go week to week, pretty much game preparation, but no tackling, not a lot of physicality. And then you get another week in there where they're not only because right now the only tackling USC gets is in games. Yeah. So yeah. on a week when they don't tackle in a game, now you've got a big leap. You got two weeks between, you know, tackling sessions for USC. So uh, I think it's asking a lot. Uh, I uh, I'm I'm a little you know I would be a little nervous if I'm you know kind of a USC person thinking about uh, are they going to be ready to play? I don't know. I mean I think we saw it work once. Uh, like this when they uh, when Clay took over for the uh, Las Vegas Bowl. And I think they practiced six times out of their potential 15. And they showed up, and that team was ready to play against uh, Fresno State. And they came out and, you know, I thought played great. But I don't know that we've seen it happen much more than that time that I can remember. Yeah, Keely and uh, Shotgun and I talked about this on Tunnel Vision a little bit. It's sort of, I guess, I don't know if it was me that brought it up. It sort of came to me like, 
when you are relying on those games and you see USC kind of getting better at the physicality stuff because they've played more games in a row, you take that week off. Is there concern that you kind of go back there? I talked to Harvey Hyde about this a little bit. He said, yeah, if you don't do it, you lose it. Um, I'm curious to see. Now, we didn't get to see Thursday practice. Maybe there was more tackling than we know, or maybe, maybe. And I don't think they did anything over the weekend, but but maybe they did something in secret. I'm not sure, but that would be... Some of the players went home, so... Okay, so they didn't do anything. I would doubt that they did. I think the answer is, if you say maybe, I say maybe not, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I would say say that. And I think it plays into that. And we all promoted that uh, Bruce Feldman story about Ohio State and their tackling theory. I thought that was I mean, the uh, co-defensive coordinator who uh, who is kind of in charge of, of how they get themselves ready to tackle came from the NFL. And he said he developed the theory when he realized in the NFL, it took them into about the fourth game of the exhibition season for the veterans to start because they don't tackle in the NFL much in practice. And it took them about at least three games into the fourth game before they were able, uh, you know, to tackle somebody. And he's tried to say, well, in college football, you don't get uh, exhibition games. So, you know, you best, you got to be ready to play right away. So he tried to, you know, create scenarios where they could uh, do the same things they do in games, but do it in practice in controlled situations. And, and yet you still got to tackle. So I think that's the, I think that's the big worry uh, about USC is that's a long time between tackles. And you better be ready to tackle Notre Dame right away. And you got to be ready to go full speed. USC, for example, is almost, I don't know if they're still the worst. Last week they were the worst team in turnover margin. And Notre Dame was the first. Uh-oh. One is, <laughs> one is number one. The, the other is number 130. I think Notre Dame's number two now or something. Yeah, and but, USC got a little oh, bit better just because they didn't play. Yeah, USC's yeah, like 118, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> whatever they did, but it's just, and that remember that was the thing that basically ended the game before it started two years ago. You know, even with Sam Darnold, it was like, uh Oh, a couple of early turnovers, this game's over. And uh, I think that's the other, you know, I don't even like to ever use the word worry because if that word's even in your vocabulary, you probably really shouldn't be there. Uh, But when you look at the matchup, that is kind of a worry because you got to be ready to play uh, from the get-go, if you're, you know, on the field at Notre Dame in South Bend on a, you know, Saturday night, where the fans, the kids have had all day to get ready for the game, and they're really ready. At you know, when that game starts, they're ready to go. And the question is, will USC be? And you know, recently, probably not. Yeah. Real quick before we jump into stuff, uh, I want all th- all three of us have to answer this, uh, oh. mostly because I wrote it in the summary that I pre-wrote. I'm like, oh, we probably should talk about this. Uh, Keely, we'll start with you. We'll put you on the spot. Oh, you know. boy. Yeah. Uh, what needs to happen for USC to pull the upset? Like, give me one big thing or a couple of small things, whatever, that need to happen. In the game or just leading up to this week? No, in the game. Like, what's what what does in the game, what does USC have to do to win against Notre Dame? Pull Not turn the ball over. <laughs> that's simple huh is that too sassy i mean don't turn the ball over and and hang in there for four quarters All right. i mean there needs to be more than that but i'm trying to be simple here that's the big one okay um i see i think if you don't turn the ball over against like byu or washington you like you likely win those games i think you got to do more 
Well, yeah. Than okay. That. Um, Do you want me to get more details? If you sure, if, whatever you want. Well, are we assuming Keaton Slovis is going to be back for this game? Let's assume. So, well, this is we're recording this Tuesday before practice. Um, Clay Helton did say on the Monday uh, Trojans Live radio show, it seemed like that there was some positivity in that direction, okay. you know, barring any setbacks. So, let's let's assume he's going to play. Okay, I think you need to be on both cylinders running well you need to have your passing game going and you need to get your run game going um to take pressure off of keaton because that's an environment that we saw sam darnold like dan said not really thrive in so you need your offense to run on all cylinders which we haven't fully seen but i think physicality up front on both sides um you have to make ian book uncomfortable and i think like i said no turnovers but you put me on the spot i wasn't fully ready so that's at least my initial thoughts all right uh, i'll do go real quick i think you got the strongest unit on the defensive side is the defensive line the strongest on the offensive side is wide receivers i think you have a huge game from the defensive line huge game from wide receivers i mean obviously you can't turn the ball over but i think to see what happened like in the utah game where the wide receivers go crazy or michael Pittman specifically ha- have that happen maybe christian rector drake you know jackson uh, Jay Tefele, like all those guys just have big games. Then I think you have a good, you know, a decent shot. Um, all that you have to have those units play well and then, you know, don't turn the ball over. Yeah. You got a chance. It's kind of the obvious things. Yes. What do you think? Oh, that you're saying that's obvious. Oh no. I'm just, okay. Whatever. That's oh. fine. All right. Cool. I'm just saying. Just shade yeah. coming Well, you from said Taylor. play well. And I'm like, yes, play well. Well, the, the strongest units on each side. Yes. Like, I think you got to go with. What, you're going to win with what gets you there. You don't want to try to win with some offshoot thing where it's like, oh, they're going to use the tight ends a lot because that they never do that. Like, hey, you, when they you, use the HVAC, they have success. They so. do. Yeah, when they go in there. What, do you, th- what do you think, Dan? I just, I just think, I, I think they got to be aggressive as heck, and, and they they got to get a, get a good start. And they just got to come out, and they can't be tentative. They can't be, oh, gosh, I wish we'd have done a walkthrough here so we'd look and enjoy, uh, see what's going on in the stadium and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 no. You got to be ready to play from from the first play, and uh, and and is often too tentative. I mean, when you looked at how they how they played at BYU and and, and Washington, and obviously the the common thread there is the road game, and they just aren't as confident, they aren't as comfortable. Uh, they don't feel like you don't get the sense that they're going to attack somebody and take the game over and shut the crowd up. But that's got to be your mentality. And I just don't see that mentality. But if they could somewhere develop that thing over, you know, this last couple of weeks where, you know, you're not going to be the team that, I mean, they made Washington, you know, those of us who were there said, you know, Washington's not very good. They, they got, you know, one nice running back and quarterback's way overrated, uh, one one receiver, but they really aren't that good a football team. And, you know, a lot of people, I don't know, Washington, no. And, and Washington showed you last week how good they are when Stanford chewed them up. And uh, that was another game that USC should have gone in, taken the game over because they got way better players, and, and left and, and, and just, you know, shut the crowd up and, and, and gone home with a win. Just what, what they should have done at Brigham Young. They didn't do it at either place. They looked tentative. They looked uncertain. Uh, and... You know, I think that's one of the things you build up that kind of confidence with practices that are tough, physical, and challenging, and competitive. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why we like to see them do that in practice. But uh, just the fact that it builds, I mean, and, and I know people say, oh, don't talk about Pete, Pete Carroll and all those teams. But those teams were so confident because of the way they practiced. Now, 
that may have been Pete was the best salesman in the world and convinced them how hard they were practicing and how tough they were. But they were going against, you know, offense and defense were going against really good players on the other side who pushed them every day in practice. And when they got to Saturday's game, they were ready. They were convinced we're better than these guys. We're going to shut them up. And they enjoyed going to the on road games better than at home. They'd rather play on the road. They they had more fun shutting up crowds on the road. And I'm not sure I see that attitude anywhere uh, with the USC football program now. Uh, you know, the, this would be the kind of a game that USC, you know, back in the day, those teams would have loved going to South Bend for this game because they'd probably say, yeah, they're nice. They got, you know, they got some, they're not as good as they were last year. And, you know, we're going to beat them and we're going to, you know, shut this, shut them up, you know, and uh, and go home and have, have a good time. And I don't know, I think I see more a team that is hoping that with all its talent, everything is going to work out. Oh, I hope, you know, hope the wide receivers have a big day. Or I hope the offensive line doesn't, you know, decide to two guys to block somebody and then somebody comes in and gets a, you know, uh, an unblocked shot at the quarterback and things like that. I hope it works. And I don't think you can go into games like this with, you know, hoping it works. You have to know it's going to work. And the way you know it's going to work is what did you do last week? What do you do this week? I'm not sure. And I'm not sure the players are sure. And that's just hearing that, that doubt is, is death to uh, uh, a team on the road against a really good team. It's going to play really hard and physical. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious. Let's assume Keaton practiced the week leading up to Utah, maybe in the last practice, the 19th of September. That's a long time to not really see game action for a quarterback. Like, I'm curious how much his reemergence is going to be at a crazy environment at Notre Dame. Like, that's something to uh, for a freshman to, to handle. I'm just curious how they're pre- prepping him this week for that type of environment and whatnot. Well, that's a, that's a really good question when you realize Sam Darnold didn't handle it well yeah. his junior year. Uh, you know, he was probably uh, still a front runner for the Heisman at that time. And the noise and, uh, you know, the physicality, the pressure, uh, Notre Dame coming after you, coming after you. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, they – you need to do things to to get them ready. And that's not just so much, oh, let's play the crowd noise and make it loud or practice. Uh, see, I think that's like on a list of things you got to do. That's down, you know, number 10 or something. Uh, I think you got to do a lot more in terms of the competitive nature uh, and the physical nature of practice uh, more than, you know, turning up the crowd noise. Yeah, agreed. Well, should we jump into questions, Keely? Let's do it. We have an email from Mark from Fresno who says, I realize injuries have played a big part, but Graham Harrell has led us to believe that all the quarterbacks were plug and play. The offense hasn't been running like it was in fall camp. He boasted about 80 plays and 55 points a game. And now we're back to the meerkat offense. Is the luster off the Graham Harrell bus? Is he who, is he who we thought he was? Mark from Fresno. Well, I know, I know this, that, that he was pretty shocked and upset when it, he realized at the end, not quite through the whole first half of the first game, uh, he may not have uh, JT Daniels for the rest of the year. 
because I mean, you look at what they did that first game and they had JT throw it 34 times in the first half, uh, completed 25. And I think there's only one game since then where they've even thrown the ball 35 times, 34 times in a, in a whole game. So he completely gone in a different direction with, uh, with Keaton and, and, and with Matt Fink. And, uh, I don't know if he if he just has to you know bite the bullet and say we're going to go down with playing our game and we're going to go with tempo we're going to put pressure on people we're going to uh, interchange a lot of receivers we're going to throw the heck out of the ball and, uh, and and or we're really going to be ready to run it and we're going to if they uh, are going to keep dropping eight back we're going to absolutely make them pay and we're going to do it you know quick and aggressively and all of that and uh, it doesn't seem like what we're seeing now we saw at any time during the spring or during fall camp. Uh, so, you know, that was the, that was the talk was that whoever he put in was going to be able to run the offense. But uh, right now that does not seem to be the case. Shall we go to another question, Ryan? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Do you want me to do a voicemail? Or? I don't know. I wasn't sure if you wanted to get some voicemail. Okay. Here's, this is, we'll play this voicemail. It came in uh, recently and this is interesting, like looking ahead to Notre Dame, but it's, it's one of those things where I don't like it when fans are like openly rooting, you know, I know you want the change, but it bugs me when they kind of openly root for losses and stuff. Well, we'll talk about it afterwards, but. Um, I wouldn't recommend this, but, uh, you know, obviously it's a frustrated fan. I'll play it for you and get your guys' thoughts. Hey, it's Don from Chicago. Love the show, everybody. Listen, I'd like to uh, ask you guys to give me three reasons why I should drive the hour and a half to South Bend to watch USC play Notre Dame this week. Uh, a Clay Hilton team. The mediocrity of USC has become nauseating. And uh, I hate to say it, it's sacrilegious to even say it, but I actually would like US, uh, Notre Dame to pound USC this weekend to finally put that puppy to bed. Anyways, love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Um, I, I think the puppy can be put to bed without getting pounded by Notre Dame. Like, I think if you're a fan, you'd rather beat Notre Dame because that's something you remember and then like lose to Arizona. And you're like, yeah, the same, you're going to get the same result. So take the win over Notre Dame. You know, you want that. I would say. Yeah, I think if I think if you know these kids, uh, you have to want them to be able to play well no matter what, and let everything else take care of itself. I don't know that any one single game uh, is going to, uh, you know, change how this is going to all play out. Uh, it's going to play out the way it plays out. But I think you know, think if you're a fan, <clears throat> and I know if you're in Chicago and you're surrounded by a bunch of golden donors, it probably drives you crazy. Uh, at the thought of, uh, you know, that they're going to have another year of, of being able to, you know, be happy. And you want to say, ah, we got Urban Meyer, you know, and you didn't. Uh, I, I just don't think you can do that. I think, I, I just, think if you, you know, the idea of being a fan is you do have to root for them and, uh, and, and, and root for them to do the best they can and, uh, and, and maybe have an upset that everybody will, you know, be thrilled about. I don't think it's going to change. Um, the trajectory of, of this season. I think this season is pretty much played out the way it's going to play out. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Would you trade if they would win out, if they win every single game? And, you know, if, they, if you beat Notre Dame, for example, you really shouldn't lose another game. I mean, let's face that. Okay. Obviously, they should not have lost the two they lost. So where does that leave you? 
and you win the Pac-12 and you go to the Rose Bowl or whatever, uh, then what? Then what have you got? You know, and did something? Did somebody figure something out, or is it just you still got enough talent and you're playing in a bad conference? And Notre Dame wasn't as good as as you you know they thought you know that you thought they were and all of that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think those are there are too many things to you know to figure out. I think it's simple if you're going to drive the hour and a half uh, from Chicago to South Bend, you root for you root for USC and the best you can and, and hope they do the best they can and uh, and take it from there. I just you can't root against if you're a USC fan, you can't root against USC. You just can't. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's hard when you know the players and you see the prep they put in each week, each day as student athletes, I think it's hard to then say, yeah, you should root against them. You know, if you're unhappy with Clay Hilton, it's understandable. But at the same time, what's your end game as a fan if you're not rooting for the players who are on the field, right? Yeah. And it's Notre Dame, dude. Like, this is the one you remember. Like, you want to beat them. If you're a USC fan, forget, you know, and you hate Clay Hilton, put that aside for now and just want to win. You want to beat Notre Dame. So three reasons to go. One, it's great. I mean, if you if there's an upset, you're going to remember that for the rest of your life. True. Keely, give him a reason. I gave one. You give one. Wow. Keep putting on me on the Put spot. you on the spot. Dan um, will come up with a reason, too. A reason to go? Huh? Um, <laughs> I like the environment. I love when there's a, a crowd that's really into it. Whether or not you're a part of that crowd, I just think it's fun to be in that type of environment for a college football game. How about that? All right. And Dan, give him third reason. Yeah, and, and I always love it that it was usually the last really nice weekend of the year in the Midwest where you know, it was bright and sunny and yeah, we've had you know, some not great weather days. However, this week might be a difference because it's going to be 74 Friday morning, 41 after the game on Saturday and a good bit of rain in between the 74 Friday morning and 41 at uh, probably eight or nine o'clock on Saturday evening. So yeah. uh, this may be, you know, I know it's not as bad looking as it was earlier in the week and they keep changing the forecast, but uh, you know, if it would, it would hold off for another week, uh, well, excuse me, another day, uh, that'd be great because it is, it's wonderful to walk around that, that campus on that. I mean, that's what college football ought to be like. And, uh, you know, you wish probably this weekend there'd be more USC fans because there were always 5,000 uh, solid 5,000 USC fans that made the trip. And if you walked around the campus, you, you know, every block you would see USC fans who you knew. And it was just really a fun, fun weekend. Uh, so that's uh, that's kind of what I, you know, you'd like to see the football be where it was, uh, but uh, I think there's plenty to get out of it uh, without having to, you know, worry about the game. Uh, it's just a great environment uh, to be part of, uh, and it is the historically most significant intersectional uh, game in college football history. It's a game that made both Notre Dame and USC uh, the programs that they are. They would not have uh, both been you know, they were both winning national championships in the 20s and driving people crazy because that, uh, the uh, Michigans and the Ohio States of the world didn't like that very much, um, that, you know, these two interlopers should come in, found one another, and uh, agreed to play this series with uh, Nick Rockney and Howard Jones. And, 
it just developed. And, you know, the first two games played in Chicago at Soldier Field uh, drew 116,000, 112,000. So, you know, this series kind of took over college football. And it's, it's, if you go there and you spend the weekend, uh, you feel like you're a part of, of college football history. And so that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then just uh, our buddy USC Psycho tweeted out uh, 20 minutes ago the latest forecast. So it's showing at 2 p.m. like 48 degrees and sunny. It's showing sunny all the way, but it goes from 48 up to 49 is the high and then down to 44 or so by like 9 p.m. So just a little chilly, but it's looking sunny right now, at least as of uh, Tuesday, you know, noontime or so. Which is good. And I think the rain moved to Friday. I think there, there's like 80% chance of rain on Friday where a lot of people would get there and, and, and walk around. But it does look like it, a good chance it, it won't hit on Saturday. But it, the, cold, the cold front moves in uh, Friday night. And so uh, it'll, it'll be a little nip in the air. It'll be, uh, it'll be a little chilly. There'll be a lot of nips in the air probably of people tailgating and all that stuff. But yeah. uh, this will be uh, uh, still, it's, I kind of, I mean, there is also, if it stays sunny, uh, even if it's nice and chilly, you get that USC person, you don't get much of that. Uh, so, you know, you kind of, you know, I bring some gloves probably and, uh, and a nice jacket and all of that, but, uh, uh, be prepared. Yep. All right. Keeping on the Notre Dame theme, we have a question from our buddy John in Brea, who says it's been 11 months since they last played USC, and Notre Dame still hasn't figured out how to tackle Marquis Step. Do you think this year's game will be played more like last year, where USC controlled parts of the game with a quick passing game and a power running game, but ultimately made too many mistakes? Or will it be more like the game in 2017, where the Trojans didn't even look prepared to be on the same field as Notre Dame and had no passion for the rivalry or what it means to play at Notre Dame? Thanks and fight on, John in Brea. Boy, John, you got it there. I mean, that uh, you better you know, bring last year's game. And uh, we really need here, you know, Marquis Step played for the uh, the Fighting Irish of uh, Indianapolis, I guess, Cathedral, I believe. Uh, and they have the green and gold uh, uniforms. And uh, he was a Notre Dame commit. Uh, so uh, it'd be pretty cool uh, to see him be the guy that, uh, that, that puts that physicality in the, in the USC offense that allows them to have the kind of, uh, you know, quick, um, short passing attack that it would be complemented by, uh, by that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we want to talk about two years ago. Uh, I just thought the other thing that bothered you about two years ago is the USC kids, as, as John said, didn't seem to have any sense of how big a deal USC Notre Dame was. And, and Notre Dame two years ago, they were the team that got the buy. Uh, before the USC game. And apparently they spent two weeks of studying the history of the USC Notre Dame series. And, and, and Brian Kelly, you know, just uh, made his players very aware of what a big deal this is for Notre Dame and their fans and their history and all of that. And you got the sense that the USC kids didn't know whether they were in Pullman or Corvallis or, or South Bend. They just didn't seem to to really get the, you know, the import of, of that, you know, the USC Notre Dame football game. And uh, you're hoping that USC's kids understand that a little more uh, this time around. We have a question from Brennan 
from Colorado. He says, which assistant or coordinator do you feel has improved their group or players the most? I would say Coach Burns due to the youth of that position group, but also Coach Chad K seems to be doing a good job. Thank you in advance and fight on Brennan from Colorado. Yeah, I think they've both done a good job. I'm, I'm, I'm real impressed. Uh, I, I kind of like, uh, I think they're good teachers. I think, uh, they, they understand where their kids are. I think, uh, their kids listen to them. I think they have, uh, you know, good, you know, communication skills. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think they made, uh, they made real, you know, impact in, uh, and what they're doing. I think, you know, with, with a, as young as that secondary is, they need a lot of, you know, coaching and handholding and all that. And I think, you know, I think it's working. I think they're doing a nice job and they've had, uh, you know, a number of injuries and, and, and movement in the, you know, uh, who's on the field and all of that. And, uh, they've hung in there, uh, you know, really well in the defensive line. I think coach Chad has just got a way about him that, uh, that you can see how, you know, kids kind of identify with him and he has the ability to, to kind of get through to his players and understand, you know, where they are and what he needs uh, to bring to him. So, uh, yeah, for the two new guys, uh, a really good job. We have an email from Jim B. who says, Great show. Why is it that Wisconsin has great O-lines every year and great running attacks, even though they rarely have a great QB, and not a lot of four- and five-stars, and they get most of their players from the state of Wisconsin? On the other hand, SC's O-line is mediocre year after year, even though they have a great QB and a lot of four- and five-stars, and they've tried different O-line coaches, and some of them have had impressive credentials at other schools. Even Neil Calloway had an impressive resume at other schools, but he comes to SC and his offensive lines are pathetic. Why can't SC build a great O-line? Fight on, Jim B. If Wisconsin could borrow one of SC's quarterbacks, they'd be a lot better, (laughs) because their quarterbacks are usually poo. It's amazing Wisconsin keeps coming up, for example, with running backs like they do. Uh, it's just impossible. I mean, and I think it's kids from New Jersey, but, uh, uh, you know, most of their players are from Wisconsin. I, I thought, I, I think I mentioned, I wrote last week that Wisconsin, USC has uh, 47, 47 four and five star players. Clemson had 40. Wisconsin, They've got nine, nine compared to USC's 47. So you got to give them credit. I'm guessing those kids don't get seen much in some of those, uh, you know, small Wisconsin towns. They obviously have, you know, kids that look like they're ready to, you know, to compete in college football. But I think they've had a succession of coaches that really understand what it takes and, uh, and they practice like that and they believe in it and they've been able to come up with that one running back who is really, really, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tribute to their program. I mean, uh, I know this for a while, they were losing assistant coaches cause they, they didn't pay all that well. And, um, yet here they go. I mean, it's, they're, it's amazing. Uh, but I, th- I think it tells you something about how you practice and, and how physical you are, how much you believe in what you're doing really really matters and they know who they are they know how they're going to do it doesn't always you know if they get to the big 10 championship game against ohio state and they run out of talent maybe they don't have quite enough talent to make that next leap but uh they comfortably belong in the top 10 and they get everything out of their uh out of their talent and and that's pretty that's neat to watch 
They do. It's, uh, I mean, there's just programs that have to develop players and they're not going to get the high end talent. And, you know, to Dan's point, sometimes you're recruiting from a, a base that's not, you know, there's not as many seven on seven tournaments. It's just not as big of a deal. The weather's not as good. You, you probably have more opportunity for diamonds in the rough, uh, finding guys in Wisconsin um, than Southern California, where everyone has a lot more exposure. So I think there's probably a combination of things there, but uh, you got to do what's best for you. And for USC, the best you can do is you bring in all that four and five star talent. That's what works. That's in USC's football DNA. That would, you know, you don't want to be the, you know, bring in three star guys and try to develop them like you do at a Boise State or something. It's just not what USC's DNA is. And it's not what would be best suited for what's around you, your environment around you. And, uh, you know, that's why USC fans are so upset with the way the recruiting class is going so far because it looks more like you're recruiting at Wisconsin or, uh, someplace like that, as opposed to, you know, a blue blood that you have all these five stars in your backyard. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, they're, they're, things will change going forward, but you got to tip your cap to what Paul Christ and, and, and Wisconsin have been able to do. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, Jonathan Taylor is like, I mean, he looks like he's an NFL running back. They have other guys that are in the NFL from that program and they've just developed great offensive lines, great running backs. You know, if they get a quarterback every once in a while, it would probably help. But, uh, that's that's really not been their DNA. Like USC wouldn't be surviving if they had terrible quarterback play. It just wouldn't. That's just not the way USC works. But you'd like to see them get back to more physical, uh, you know, domination on the offensive lines, like a lot of teams have. They just haven't been that way for a while, and that is part of USC's DNA. But we haven't seen it, and uh, you're seeing the results in the field because of that. Uh, now, the couple questions we have next are, I think, what are on a lot of fans' minds, but we're getting into the weeds here. Uh, first well, off... Do you, want me to, do you want me to do... We have one like technical like football question. Sure, uh, go for it. Do that first. So, it's our buddy Curtis. Um, From Marina Valley. Do you, do you know what his hot button is? Do you remember? It's the uh, the eight-man coverages that USC... So, he's probably three voicemails a week that have to do with uh, okay. eight man coverages. But here's here's what he has this time. We'll talk about that first and then we'll get into some of the the weedier stuff as Keeley said. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. I heard uh Graham Harrell being asked after one of the losses uh this year if he was concerned about uh defenses that they were playing upcoming that would drop eight and rush three. And he said he anticipated that defenses aren't going to change, not necessarily. They're going to do what they do and not necessarily do that. Not true. Not so fast, my friend. Everybody knows that dropping eight, you can't pass on it. So there are no open windows. There is no open grass. You'd have to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers to be able to dissect these tight windows in this zone or man zone, whatever it is. But my question is to Dan Weber for practice and the coach for practice. Shouldn't we be going against defense at practice where they're dropping eight so we can get used to it? And then our defense would get used to running it. Our defense could benefit greatly on when we're doing passing yardage. Imagine two deep safeties. The last team, Washington, on the replays, you can't even see the safeties. 15 yards off, they're afraid of our offense. We're making defenses change. We got to take advantage of it. And our defense on 
long yardage should do the same thing. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Yeah, yeah, Curtis, I think what Graham was saying is you're not going to see teams that never, you know, do drop, never drop eight, or teams that just, they're not going to probably change everything they do and hope that it works. I mean, some might, like uh, like a Brigham Young, uh, they just took a chance, and USC uh, cooperated with them. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, Graham and uh, Michael Pittman both said we still ought to be able to throw the ball against those defenses. And Michael Pittman said we got to get a little more creative, or we got to take advantage and in, in, in on the, you know on, on high pointing the ball to somebody like Michael. Uh, he's been kind of disappointed that USC hasn't been able to take advantage of the drop eight teams. But the first thing you got to do is you've got to run the ball and, and force them to change. And you know you you ought to go up and hope they drop eight. And say we're going to jam it right down your throat. Now you can't have penalties. You can't have busted plays. If you're going to run the ball three times and get a first down, if you have a busted play. If you lose yardage, uh, you gain nothing on one of those. It's going to make it really tough on third down. And then you're throwing uh, when they know you're going to throw throw the ball. You probably got to do a better job if you run the ball well, uh, which they did against Washington. You got to throw play action in there a little bit and uh, just things that they just haven't had it all together and uh and that's a shame but uh they will tell you that they think they should be able to throw the ball against drop eight coverage now if it were me i'd like to see them go tempo i'd like to see them run more plays tire the defense down you know out a little bit uh push them push them push them uh i don't think they're running enough plays and i I don't it, it just seems to be a lack of a lack of confidence, uh, you know, in what they're doing. But, uh, but I, I don't think that you know, the drop eight automatically means the other team's going to, you know, going to beat you. And I, I don't, that doesn't mean they're going to play. For example, they play drop eight. That doesn't mean they're going to play it well. I mean, I doubt Notre Dame has, has played much drop eight. So if you get a team into something, they really haven't done much. Uh, I think you've kind of won that battle. Now you just got to execute and, you know, we haven't seen the kind of execution that we thought we were seeing uh, at the end of, end of fall camp. Now, obviously, you've had two uh, different starting quarterbacks after JT went down, so you know, so that's part of it. But uh, but but I, I yeah, and obviously with the scout team, they got them uh, standing around in drop eight. Uh, I think one of the secrets. Uh, from the Pete Carroll days was they had the first teams go against the first teams, maybe for five plays, maybe for eight plays a day, but you went against the best athletes on the other side. And that's not what you're getting when you're going against the scout team. So you're, you're, you may not be getting, uh, you know, the exact same look. Uh, and so, you know, but I think, I think they can go against drop eights, I don't, I don't think they'll be surprised or they'll feel like, okay, we didn't prepare enough. They just they have to do it better. I mean, they just, you know, have to, have to make it more, more game, but that's everything they do in practice has to be more game tempo, game speed, game pressure, game physicality. And that's the secret of being a great football coach is how can you get that team into practice doing that without getting guys hurt? And in controlled situations, and that's really hard to do. 
And there aren't a lot of people that do it really, really well, but that's what you need to be able, you know, recruiting matters a lot. But then that next step of developing them and getting them ready uh, for games, but not losing their physical edge is, uh, is real important. And that's what USC struggled with. You know what bugs me more than anything, Dan? Well, maybe not more than anything, but this bugs me a lot. I remember there was, it was probably last year where some of the coaches were talking about what I forget what it was specifically, but like they were in cover two. So that just means we couldn't, you know, run the ball or whatever it was. And then I uh, like when you say, well, they dropped eight guys in the coverage. You can never pass the ball again. When you, someone runs some like magical defense that takes like half of your offense away, makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's like, Oh, that, that's, we can't do that. They, they, you know, they schemed us out of that. <laughs> no, come on. You, again, that was the, before the season, it was all, it doesn't matter what they do. It's all about us, about our execution. Uh, it, it just, it shouldn't even be something you have to think about twice. You say, okay, you know, I, I still, I, I always love what, what Chris Collins said when, you know, uh, when he was a rookie and we asked him about, what if they do this to you? What if they do that to you? And he said, they can't take everything away. You know, if they do this, I'm doing that. If they do that, I'm doing this. I mean, it's just, that's how football works. And it has to be, that's how it has to work for USC. You just go in there and say, whatever you do, we got something and we're going to do it better than what you do. And if you get them in a defense, they don't always play. You really ought to have the advantage. So you don't want to build up this, oh my goodness, if they go into that defense, oh, there goes half our offense. No, I mean, I just, I can't say it strongly enough. You're right, Ryan. The one that stands out to me is when Mm. they, I remember we kept hearing, oh, they were bracketing Juju. They were bracketing Juju. We couldn't really do much in the passing Mm. game. And it was like, well, okay, there's other things to do then. But yeah. So now moving on to these questions, Daniel from Los Angeles says, if USC loses to Notre Dame, wouldn't it be wise for the interim AD or whatever power figure within USC to fire Clay Helton? I understand they knew they need a new AD, but would uh, would it give the alumni and fan base a sense of relief knowing that change will finally happen? They don't need to hire the new coach; just basically show health in the door. Your thoughts? Well, um, I, I do think that signal to the fan base is important, and I think they did not give a good signal last year with the uh, with, with what Lynn Swan did in terms of saying basically everything is failing or lacking in the football program, but we think we can fix it with changing some things. And then they didn't change. I mean, Notre Dame went through that and they legitimately changed almost everything. They kept that coach, but they didn't keep a whole lot else. Uh, and it mattered and look, you know, what it's done for them the last couple of years. So, um, but it didn't seem to have the same, uh, commitment at USC uh, when they said they were going to do it, which you know fans looked at and say, I don't know that they even meant it, and they didn't do enough to you know to follow up on it. So I guess you could make the case that if you're going to make a change, why uh, why not just make it and figure out how to do that? Now the problem they've got is they've already done it twice in the last eight years in the middle of a season. If you do it three times, I mean, you're, 
you're their all-time champs. Nobody's ever done that before in big-time college football. Uh, so, you know, what an indictment that would be uh, about the decision-making. Uh, and, I mean, who needs to indict the decision-makers uh, for USC football any more than they've been indicted? But, uh, but it would be just one more, uh, you know, I would think the, the 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 critical deal right there would be, do you have somebody lined up and is he willing and ready to go? And, and would that be a signal that everything's going to change in that case? Maybe then you, you can justify it even without having uh, the new AD in place. But, uh, but again, then you're making decisions about things that really, really matter without having a real pro in charge uh, when you need that decision made. So a lot of problems about either way you go, uh, there's some real negatives uh, for USC right now. They're not, they're not set up. And you've got a brand-new president. Uh, you know, you got somebody in charge of athletics right now who really wasn't involved in athletics. He was in compliance, but they were separate from athletics. I don't know that he really – was any part of uh, what was going on in athletics. Um, not sure who he listens to at this point, who the president listens to, how that all you know goes together for, for making that kind of decision. So we might say, oh, that's a decision that needs to happen. But if we don't know who's making it or how they're making it, I don't even know. I don't know if that's a good thing, uh, you know, to just kind of, go, you know, out there and hope you get it right. And who, who made that decision? I don't know who made, I mean, how did, how did, you know, get, you get Lynn Swan or Pat Hayden as ADs who made those decisions or Mike Garrett? Uh, I don't think we know. Um, so yeah. you don't want to continue a tradition of, of decision-making that you don't even know how did that decision get made and who made it. Um, we got to, uh, we have to take a break. I want to tell you a little bit about, um, SeatGeek, but before we do that, I need to go on to the peristyle. So if you are not on uscfootball.com, uh, if you're not a member, you should definitely do that. Uh, we just ran a promotion this past weekend, but it's you know, a dollar. You get the, uh, you get a, a trial for a buck. It's great. Just go in there and try it out. It's awesome. But the peristyle is where all the USC fans come together. It's the biggest, baddest. USC football message board on the planet. It's been around forever. We started it way back when in 1996, and it's been going strong ever since. I've got a candidate for post of the year. Uh, so, you know, there's some fans on there, Dan, you know, they're, they're not super happy with what's going on. Yeah. And TB82 posted a thread uh, about three hours ago for where we're doing this. He says, seriously, does anyone even care anymore? And there's already three pages response to this, but he says, it's not even worth getting mad. I'm just losing interest. And that's something like apathy has been like a real problem. Um, it's not good for us because like people say, yeah, I love your content, but I'm just over the team. I don't even want to read about it anymore. And you know, that doesn't make us feel good because we're, we're putting a lot of work into trying to cover this team. But if people don't even care about the team anymore, that's a bad thing. But the best response is from uh, L J S O L I N T. I don't know what, that that name is but the response is gold he says usually i would be very angry at my wife for making us go to a wedding on the day of an sc football game but i'm not angry at all i'm so disinterested in sc football right now that the thought of mingling with people and dancing with my wife 
sounds better than watching the game. It's my <laughs> daughter's wedding, but that's besides the point. <laughs> oh my god! I think. I mean, how good is that? <laughs> uh, is that crazy? I mean, that's man, man. that's yeah. kind of where we are right now. There it is. There it is. That's right. That's where we are. So, do you do something just to change that? Uh, you know, that whole where everybody is. I mean, people had a, a legitimate reason to to feel, you know, like there's a chance this year. And then, you know, obviously uh, he loses uh, JT Daniels before the end of the first half. And, and you got built in excuses going forward, but uh, yeah, you got to look like you care. And yes, he's got to make it clear to fans that they care and it matters and that they're, they want excellence. And if you're one of the top five programs in the history of college football, you have to act like it. You have to, you know, and USC hasn't acted like it for a good while. And that, you know, that's not on the fans. That's on, that's on USC. So uh, I think, you know, it's a very legitimate concern for fans who say, I wish I could be excited. I wish I could be involved. I just can't. And yeah, I think USC's got to listen and think about what do we do about that? Yeah, agree there. All right. Well, I want to tell everyone about uh, SeatGeek before we kind of roll on there. If you want, you know, you want to get tickets to this Notre Dame game, maybe you want to get tickets for homecoming for Arizona the following week. Uh, there's millions of live ticket events out there and a price price match guarantee from SeatGeek. They're proving there's a better way to find all those tickets. If you want to do sports, you can search for that or live music, comedy, anything along those lines you need tickets for. SeatGeek can help you out. All in one place is where you can use SeatGeek to get tickets for any of those things. Uh, the industry for seats for tickets tend to stagnate, but SeatGeek designed, decided to stand out from the crowd, and they designed a better way. It's the fastest way to find tickets, so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. So make sure you go on the app, and there's over 50,000 five-star reviews. So the customers are very satisfied with SeatGeek. They pull, they pull millions of tickets together from all over the web, and then they're going to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10. And then they display all of them on an interactive seat map that you can check out. I'm looking right now on my app at USC versus Arizona. And you can see where all the tickets are. And they have little green dots or red dots to show you if it's a good deal or not as good of a deal. And you know you decide where you want to sit. And you can use the app to, to find those seats and get the best price for that. So check it out. It's the easiest way to find tickets. That's what I use when I need tickets for somebody. And SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first purchase. All you got to do is use the promo code USC. So download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. All right. Sorry, it's a little tangent there. I had to read that post though. It was was, Did you like the post, Keely, or no? It was funny. Yeah, I actually I saw you tweet it out earlier. So okay, my initial reaction wasn't. I, I actually aired. tweeted it while we were recording because I was like, "This is too good. I got to tweet this out." Yeah, you're looking at the <laughs> boards while we're podcasting. It's cool, Ryan. The message boards are important. You know, that's yeah. where that's where our peoples are. You know, our people. Let's go to an email from Guile Smiles who says, "When I watched Clay Helton's face and demeanor at the Washington Post game presser, he looked visibly shaken." I wonder what kind of state Helton's psyche is in these days. Does he really believe that this season and this team has great things in store for all of us, as he repeatedly says? Or do you think he knows that he is circling the drain and is full of dread and fear deep inside? Maybe he knows the latter is true, but hopes for the former. Kyle smiles. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
I, I, I would think this is uh, it's a tough place to be in if you're quiet at this point. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he, I think he basically said, give me a chance. Uh, we'll win the Pac-12 South, and if we get to the championship game, we can beat whoever's up, you know, whoever we play there, and uh, maybe we go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, I think that's that's kind of where he is. I think that's what he came out of the Washington game saying, basically. Uh, we're still uh, we're going to win the Pac-12 South and, and, and move on from there. But, you know, that's a pretty, uh, you know, you got to thread the needle at this point. Uh, and it does give him an outlet, you know, an out this week because you can say, hey, losing to Notre Dame doesn't going to cost us anything as far as the uh, – uh, you know, winning the Pac-12 and winning out. So I think that was almost, you know, built into what they uh, what they were saying after the Washington game. But uh, but I I mean, as I look back now, and he had the sense of of where Washington was and how talented it was not, and then it proved true when you saw what happened to him against Stanford. Uh, you realize what an unbelievable opportunity USC lost in the two road losses against two teams that USC is better simply that USC is better than BYU They're better than Washington. And, uh, you know, the difference is Washington didn't lose the game and didn't do the things that lose the game for you. And USC did that simple. And, uh, you know, what position would Clay be in now if he were five and oh, I mean, we wouldn't be hearing about the, uh, you know, the, the disaffected fans. I mean, as crazy as it is, USC. If, if USC five and zero, they're in the top ten, you know, and everybody's just thrilled to death. And and the failure to be ready to play against uh, BYU and, and Washington is, I mean, that's just you can't have those things happen. Um, I mean, Washington didn't know. I don't think that USC was better than they were. Washington just now thinks we're better than USC. They're not, but they won. And yes, he didn't do the things they needed to, to be able to, you know, to win that game. But, um, you know, they don't have, they don't have any margin for error. And even, you know, saying that, I don't know if there's any margin of any kind, uh, you know, going forward, but, uh, but as long as you're here, you got to think, well, we got a chance, but, um, you know, I would say short of, of running the table, winning the Pac-12 South, and almost maybe even including the Notre Dame game, um, this is really going to be tough uh, to make it work uh, going in the future with a new president, a new athletic director, and, this, and the, where the fans are and the fact that you're off 20,000 season tickets. That's tough. You got a brand, you know, almost a brand new Coliseum and, people don't want to go there and you're in a town where you know well for a while the rams were king well we'll see where this plays out for the rams and the chargers there they're getting to be in the same boat as usc but uh usc just has to los angeles is a place where you either are good or they nobody cares you either got to be special there are so many places people can put their attention and their time and their money and they've got so many choices uh, now you've got the Lakers starting up and the Clippers and the Dodgers in, in the playoffs and all of that. You've got to be really good if you want to 
breakthrough in Los Angeles, and you can't be where USC is at this point. You you had to win those two games, and USC did. And now, here they are. We have speaking of apathy, we have an email from Dan with a plan from Los Angeles. He says, any news, rumors, gossip, or rumblings regarding the next USC athletic director? I don't even look forward to college football on Saturday anymore. I'm tired of watching everyone else's good teams. I wonder how much revenue local bars have lost just because of Clay Helton and USC football. Fight on if there's any fight left. Dan with a plan in Los Angeles. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, there are a lot of rumors and rumblings and all that kind of thing. Uh, is there a plan? I don't know. Uh, it sure looks like the most available and reasonable and just makes the most sense since you have to pretty much hire somebody in the middle of the year. Uh, I think it would be really difficult for the top three or four really established athletic directors to just uh, up and move in the middle of the year, even for USC that might pay them a lot, a good bit more or has, you know, the potential to be where you could really impact them. I mean, it certainly looks like the guy that just makes the most sense is, uh, is Patrick Chun, the, uh, AD at Washington. I think he's 44, Washington State, excuse me. He's 44, 15 years at Ohio State and Ohio State alum. He was there at some time when, uh, uh, Urban Meyer was there. He's a baseball guy. He, um, uh, you know, he, he helped put Florida Atlantic on the map by, by hiring, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin. Uh, he's a, a big time fundraiser. He just checks all the boxes. So, and I don't think it would be nearly as difficult for him, uh, to make that move from Washington State to USC. And I think the Pac 12 would be thrilled that if they felt like USC is getting a really professional athletic director who I think the Pac-12 now realizes that they were probably wrong in saying, boy, it's great. If USC drops down to where the rest of us are, that'll be great. Oh, man, well, and Larry Scott also was on that parody uh, bandwagon, and now everybody realizes, you know, we, we kind of need USC to be USC, and hopefully they'll find somebody who will allow them to be USC and, and, and get them to be able to be USC again. So, uh, so I would guess that would be my, that would be my call at this point in time. Patrick Chun, Washington state. We have an email from Sean from Harbor city. He says, I hear a lot of talk about urban Meyer possibly being the new coach, although Helton is still here, but do you think USC would want to bring in someone with the questionable past that he has? Is it all about winning and that clears everything away? I personally don't feel the program should want to bring in someone with allegations or perceptions against themselves, considering all the problems the university is having at the moment, or should I say alleged allegations. As a Trojan fan, I do want this university succeed to succeed, but I feel that we need someone who doesn't have the questions about their past. Get this program on the right path towards winning without giving uh, up the integrity to achieve that. Fight on, Sean from Harbor City. Uh, I mean, you know, I, you qualified it by saying alleged allegations. Well, yeah, they are. There's nothing personal. I mean, it's nothing, for example, despite being at Florida and Ohio State, not a single allegation for NCAA issues with Urban, which I think is pretty good. It, you know, I haven't come through those two places. Um, 
you got to coach a little differently. You got to be a little different person. Um, uh, I think it got to urban at Florida and he got out of Dodge and then, uh, and Ohio state. Um, I think the thing he does probably have the ability to not be distracted by, by side issues, which I think in the case of Ohio state, there was conflicting, you know, evidence and testimony, uh, you know, with his assistant coach and, and his wife and, you know, the wives were involved, you know, kind of who was, who knew what and who was saying what, who believed, you know, the, the police, the evidence there, uh, never backed up what, what eventually happened, uh, you know, and how much should he have known and how should he have acted? Uh, you know, I think he would be somebody who would, Urban would tell you he didn't act uh, properly. He, didn't, he wasn't going to be distracted. He didn't let himself be distracted. I think with, with that in his background, I think he comes in as even a, probably a, a better person as far as those kinds of things are concerned. Uh, but, you know, again, we're just, we're just guessing, um, and that won't be our call. I don't, that would be, uh, if it gets down to that, I would think Pre- President Folt, uh, and that'll be probably a, a big focus of, of, of a decision if it, if it comes down to Urban Meyer, you know, yes or no, thumbs up or thumbs down. And, uh, I think one of the benefits of having, uh, you know, a female president is I think she's got more, uh, uh, you know, insight and maybe more ability to, to make that call and, 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 and to make it for USC in a way that it would be accepted. Um, I, I personally don't have a sense that, that, uh, that urban would be that kind of a problem. Uh, I think you absolutely have to have a really good, sharp, smart athletic director who basically says, Irvin, I'm on your side. I'm going to do everything I can to help you just the way you're going to tell me what you need. However, if it comes to certain, you know, things that I think maybe you're not, um, seeing that as, as much as, 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 as the same way as we are, uh, I'll probably have to say no. And I think you know, Urban you know, would respect someone like that. And I think you know, USC has to get that squared away. I, I don't think, I think Urban almost admitted it himself that he's so single-minded and such a competitor that the things that he might consider side issues, he doesn't focus on. And that's where I think somebody's got to break through. But when you watch him on that Fox show, the guy is so smart and so understands football and so gets it. And he just, I think it would be interesting to see USC, you know, with that kind of, uh, with that kind of person in charge, it would be a, you know, like they went out and hired the, uh, the Dean from the Wharton school uh, to replace uh, Jim Ellis at the Marshall school of business. And that's where you say, okay, you know, we had all this to do about what's going on in the business school and whether that was, correct or not correct, we're going to go out and get the best person available in the United States to, to be that next person to come in. I think that would be the message in some ways that you would be sending uh, if this moves in that direction. But, um, but I think, uh, I think there'd be a lot of, there'll be criticism day one, day two. I don't think there's any question about it. And then by the end of the first week, people will be, would be saying things like, wow, next year's opener, 
you got Nick Saban against Urban Meyer, USC and Alabama, and four or five months of that. Is that, you know, is that enough to say, well, don't pay any attention to, you know, what happened uh, with uh, Urban and the assistant coach in, in Columbus? Uh, no, but I don't know that that's a disqualifier. I just think if you're looking for that next guy who's available to do what USC needs done, it just looks like the matchup is so good that, you know, you do it with your eyes wide open as far as, you know, what, what's there in the background. But, but, uh, I don't think it's a disqualifier, but again, that's just me and Keely might have a, a completely different take on it, but that's, that's my take. Do you have a different take on it, Keely? Um, yeah, I mean, my thoughts aren't fully formed yet. I feel like if we got there, if we got to the point where there is a head coach opening, I think I would have a much more ready response than I do right now. I just, I think it's much more complicated. And I just think that given USC's histories of coaches with trouble, it doesn't seem like the smartest choice from that standpoint. Sure, I understand it from a purely football standpoint, but yeah. it's complicated and it's not black and white. And so I think that there needs to be more thought about it, but I'm not ready to give my full on statement about it yet because there's not an opening right now. If I remember correctly, when this came up like months ago, oops, just knocked over my water. Uh, when this came up months ago, I think I brought something up and you were like kind of all in like, yeah, he would be an amazing hire. And then I was like, well, what about that other stuff? You're such a troll. That didn't happen. I'm pretty sure that, that happened. That didn't happen. I'm pretty sure I kind of pointed out like, well, there were a few things that, that didn't happen, that didn't Ryan. didn't go exactly right. Ryan. I'm going to go back and find it. I know it's happened. Do it because it's all not right. true. But... That's going to take work. I'm not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, but let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We got some more questions for you. So back in a minute. Hey everybody, John Stewart here. I am here to tell you about my new podcast, The Weekly Show, coming out every Thursday. We're going to be talking about the uh, election, earnings calls. What are they talking about on these earnings calls? We're going to be talking about ingredient to bread ratio on sandwiches. I know you have a lot of options as far as podcasts go, but how many of them come out on Thursday? Listen to The Weekly Show with John Stewart on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I've got a voicemail for you. We'll play it right now. Hey, guys. This question's for Dan Keeley and Ryan. And I was just calling because a lot's been made, and honestly, rightly so, about how much Sam Darnold potentially bailed out this coaching staff. But I think one thing that people, a lot of people are probably overlooking is that I think Rojo bailed out this coaching staff a lot, too. I mean, you look at the game Saturday, for example, the Stephen Carr long run and Marquis Step long run, those are touchdowns if Ronald Jones is in the game. I mean, it's, it's that simple. They're touchdowns. Like, there's no way, even if a corner from the other side of the field, they, there wouldn't be an angle to get on him. And the safety, he would have beat the safety to the edge, which Marquis Step almost did. So, you know, then you, then you think about that. I mean, then it's a 28-28 ball game. And then also you take into account the fact that he was a severely underrated goal line runner or like red zone runner and scored a lot of touchdowns by being able to run through things through arm tackles. And so maybe they're not having to throw, you know, into in the red zone with Rojo back there. And maybe they are able to run it in on first or second down and not have to resort to, 
you know, an RPO on second and third down. So, anyways, I just would be interested to get you guys' take on that. I think a lot's been made about Sam Darnold, rightly so, that we're, you know, he bailed them out a lot. But I think Rojo did, too. And I'd like to get you guys' feedback on that. Fight on, Jason Longhorn Country. Yeah, you're, you are absolutely 100% correct. I mean, it was great to see uh, Rojo uh, return to the Coliseum for Tampa Bay and, uh, you know, a goal line runner and just, just a running back. And I know it took him a, kind of a year to get adjusted to the uh, – and acclimated to the, the NFL. But, uh, but you know, USC's offensive line wasn't a whole lot better uh, you know, in terms of opening up, uh, you know, the run game, other than Rojo was just, he'd bounce and he'd go. And he, he had the amazing ability to keep his legs going. And he, there was something about his running style that just people didn't put him on the ground. And he kept going till he found, he found the seam. Uh, or he, you know, he got to the edge and then he turned it up and uh, he didn't get caught. And uh, I think without a doubt, he was uh, darn near as much a, a factor in a lot of ways as Sam was. He gave them a running game that they probably didn't deserve based on how they executed it, but he executed it his own in a way that, uh, you know, that was special. So I, I couldn't agree more. The talent on the 2016 team, when you look back, is just ridiculous. Pretty good. Juju, Adori, Rojo, Sam, like Stevie T, if you want to include him. Like the fact that they only reached the Rose Bowl that season is is kind of criminal. I feel like they had potential to go further. One in three. I know. One in three. I know. With that talent. I know. That's my point. It's crazy. That's why people are mad. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, let's go to a text from Clayton, class of 2011, who says, I recently read an article about Bubba Bolden's transition to Miami and read an interesting quote from their safeties coach. He said, we're never going to change our philosophy of what gets you on the field at the University of Miami on defense. You will tackle if you play. If you don't tackle, you won't play. Don't you think this philosophy would be effective at SC. The only problem is SC doesn't practice tackling, so they won't make that a defining factor of who makes it on the field or not. Secondly, at this point, I feel sorry for Clay Helton. I feel like everyone knows he isn't the right fit, and I think he realizes that SC will let him go. It seems harsh to let him go on and on like a fish out of water. Put him out of his misery already. That way, both parties can move on with minimal embarrassment. It's pretty sad slash embarrassing to watch Clayton. Yeah, if you're going to make uh, tackling a defining factor, you got to tackle in practice. I mean, it's like you could say, well, we're not going to put up the scout or the um, depth chart until Friday. But if you don't do anything Monday to Friday that defines what you're going to, what's going to, you know, determine who's on the depth chart, you know, what are you just throwing darts? I mean, uh, you know, so yeah, I think, I think that's a great idea. You got to be able to tackle and, um, uh, but you got to know in practice. Who can tackle? Who can't tackle? Uh, and what has to be done to bring the tackling up to speed? And uh, that's uh, like, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We have a long email from someone who forgot to put their name, but they said fight on from Big Sky Country. So first off, they said, with much respect given, does this quote-unquote entity really exist anymore? Other quote-unquote blue blood programs across the country appear to have strong influences from their alumni and financial donors in regards to their athletic departments in general and their their football programs in particular. 
I realize this at times is a very sharp double-edged sword, but appears from the outside looking in that SE does not have comparable levels of alumni slash booster support and influences anymore. Lynn Swan seems outright emboldened to shrug off the current situation and give no indications of really understanding the problems and wanting to make necessary big picture corrections. What are your thoughts? Also, I think this was an older email considering they're talking about Lynn Swan, but we'll continue. Uh, he <laughs> says that con- that comes that comes to my second part. What do you see as the relationship and connection anymore between Swan and SC with the former legends of the game who proudly played as Trojans and wore the Cardinal and gold? Do they even ha- hold much influence anymore? One always used to see Marcus Allen and Ronnie Lott on the sidelines. Anthony Munoz and Willie McGinnis were not uncommon, uncommon either. These days, the sidelines seem bare of these former players. I read where a large group of these former greats rented a box for the Ohio State slash SC Bowl game two years back. Supposedly at halftime, the Buckeye beatdown, they had uh, they had Swan in the box with them and gave him an earful. Seems to have little avail from the from then to the current state of the program. Do you see these vital connections? fading away thanks for all your efforts throughout the year and fight on from the big sky country it's weird i don't think this is an older yeah. email but uh it, does, it seems like the person doesn't realize lynn swan's not let there anymore i'll, I'll look to see exactly <laughs> when it was said. i think but, we uh, got it this week so yeah, i think it was sent this week Breaking well i news. mean i do think lynn takes some of the blame for you know even though he was one of those guys he really wasn't one of those guys and i think that that you know there has been a separation uh, i think a lot of those guys that you look at the great USC football players, the uh, Marcus Allens and the Ronnie Lotts and Anthony Munoz, and the way they played football is not the way this USC team is playing football. And so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would love to have, have them bring Ronnie Lott in to talk to the team or Marcus Allen, but I'm afraid those guys might not survive, uh, you know, a, a session of Ronnie Lott and Marcus Allen telling them how you got to play football. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're gone. I mean, those guys, I mean, they care about USC football, but they're not part of the program and they're not on the sidelines. You're just not seeing them around anymore. And, uh, and that's, you know, I think one of the things that has to change, uh, and, and bringing in a, you know, Lynn Swan as AD didn't do anything to, to help it. I don't think, you know, I don't think any of the three former player ADs really had that kind of a connection with their, uh, with their, you know, guys that are in that same category. Uh, it just somehow they've all drifted away. And, um, yes, he's got to, got to get that going again. And uh, we're just not seeing it. Not seeing it. Very absurd. So that email was actually from Tom and it looks like, so it came in on, uh, October 4th, like four days ago, but there's a date inside the email that says February 24th. So, I don't know if it got lost in uh, the ether somewhere, but it's interesting. It's, but it did. It came in on the fourth, and somehow, though, it was dated from February. So, Tom, sorry, we didn't mean to. Uh, sorry, Tom. Besmirch your na- like not knowing that that Linswad is gone. But hey, by the way, Tom, Linswad's gone, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. Breaking news. Yeah, that isn't breaking. Um, Spoiler alert! If just in case you don't know, Mr. Abraham, do we have any more uh, voicemails? We're done with the voicemails. Okay, I have one more question. Let's All get right. to it. It's from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, "In my ranking of the best USC head coaches, I would have them in this order: John McKay, Pete Carroll, Howard Jones, John Robertson, and Don Clark." Even though he was only a head coach for two years, McKay is number one not only because he won four national championships, but also because he hired his replacement, John Robinson. You are now a uh, 
you are not, you're known by who you leave behind, just like Urban Meyer left a great coach at Ohio State. Don Clark left USC because he earned more money running his company than coaching, but he did have a great year in 1959 after uh, severe penalties against USC the year before, and he hired John McKay. Needless to say, the worst coaches have been Paul Hackett, Steve Sarkeesian, and Clay Helton. The big difference between the best and the worst is demonstrated by leadership ability, consistent philosophy for offense and defense, and confidence in yourself and the people around you. I would also add confidence in your ability to recruit to your system, especially kids at Southern California high schools. USC should be looking for the next John McKay, not the next Paul Hackett. Dan, thank you for your honest assessments of the needs for USC coaching. What coaching qualities do you look for in a head coach? Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Well, I mean, I just know this. The thing that I think, and having done the book on, you know, Miracle Moments of USC football history is that if you have a great coach and he's at USC, he's going to win national championships. There aren't a lot of places you can say that. Uh, but if you get the right coach, you get the great coach, the Howard Jones, the John McKay, all, you know, and, and Pete Carroll, different, you know, categories, and we'll give John, you know, Robinson credit. He kept it going. Uh, that first time through, uh, you will win national championship, and and you can say that even now. Uh, and and again, there aren't many places you can say that. You can't say that even even about uh, say uh, you know Oregon, uh, for example, or Washington. Uh, maybe they have have done it, but that's not going to happen. Probably not. Like a Texas A&M, maybe not. There there aren't that many schools that you can say. You get the right coach, got the right combination of, of, you know, the ability to recruit and a system that he believes in and a toughness and, uh, you know, an ability to just, you know, um, not be, uh, I guess not be distracted by all the things that can distract you in Los Angeles, for example, and be single minded and tough enough and, and disciplined enough uh, and, and make it all about, you know, about football. Uh, you can win national championships at USC. And I think that's the thing. I think that's the only thing USC should be looking for is can this guy win national championships at USC? Again, it's not what other schools are necessarily looking for, but that's one of the things I think that people look at Urban Meyer and say, okay, this is attractive. Um, Again, he would be the only person if you get a person like that, uh, USC, if, if he could pull it off at USC, be the only person ever to win national championships at three different schools. Uh, that has to make USC attractive to Urban. And, you know, is it vice versa? We'll see. But, uh, but I think, you know, the criterion has to be, can this person win a national championship or several at USC? If he can, he's in the mix. If not, he might not be the right person for USC. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, yes, he doesn't have a lot of middle sort of coaches. They're either <laughs> national champions or they're failures. I mean, it's <laughs> like that middle ground doesn't exactly exist. Uh, and, you know, I, and maybe that's the way it is that you either have to be that guy that, that keeps the program going out, you know, in the, in the, the trajectory to, toward national championships or it's going to go in the other direction. And, uh, you know, and, and I think, I don't know that there's, you know, there are different, different, you know, coaches coach different ways and they're different personalities, but again, they have to be really special. They have to be, 
you know, that one of a kind guy, you know, they have to be one of the top four or five coaches in the country and nothing. I mean, if you, if you've got one of the historically top five programs in the country, and I don't know that there's any arguing that at all, you have to have one of the top five coaches. I don't think there's, there can't be a mismatch. I still remember first game I ever covered at Michigan and here they come and you're, you're down on the field in the, you know, the big house of hundred and I don't know what it was, seven or 8,000 people. And here comes the band, you know, and the hail to the victors. I think you could argue is the best fight song. Uh, at the time that Michigan had won more games than any team in college football history. Uh, they come out in those uniforms that, you know, I think Harbaugh probably has screwed it up, but there's classic, you know, new uniforms with those classic helmets. And, uh, and then here comes, uh, I guess at the time that their head coach was Gary Muller. And I'm thinking, you got the, you know, the most wins, the biggest, you know, stadium, um, you know, the best fight song, the best uniform, all that. And Gary Muller is your head coach. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. You can't do, you can't make it work. It, it, it's not going to work. And I think the same thing with USC. USC can, you know, you can look at a lot of those categories and say USC is right there with ev- anybody that's ever played, and yet you can't make it. I mean, look at what happened in Alabama when they didn't have a Nick Saban or a Bear Bryant coaching there. I mean, it's a hard place. You, 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 you either have that guy or you don't have that guy, and USC's got to get that guy. Yeah. All right, well, good show today. We had a lot lot for the bye week. Like, a lot uh, to talk about. Without a game, there was a lot to uh, to break down there. Thanks to everyone who sent us voicemails, questions, texts. We appreciate it. We got them all, and uh, we appreciate all that stuff. Um, all right, we'll wrap it up uh, from here. Thanks uh, to SeatGeek. Thanks to Trader Joe's. Thanks to all of you. For listening to the Parastyle Podcast, we're going to head out to practice now. That's Keely Yor, Dan Weber, and I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. We need to talk. The acclaimed Showtime original docuseries Couples Therapy returns with an addictive and revealing new season. Dr. Orna is back in session, helping four new couples grapple with real issues from religion and sex to polyamorous power dynamics. Collider says couples therapy is like nothing else on TV. It's break up or breakthrough on the new season of Couples Therapy. Now streaming with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Visit ParamountPlus.com to try it free.